0: Here we go again. We're home. I bypassed the compressor.
1: You and the chosen one. Something truly special. Congratulations, you are being rescued.
0: Revenge is not the Jedi way. I am no Jedi. The ability to speak might not make you intelligent, but we're going to try to prove otherwise. This is the Clashing Sabers podcast, and I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and I am here with my co-host, who has the disposition as bright as Darth Vader's eyes. I give you...
1: Drew. Hey.
0: Very... See how, very, see um, how I did that? Yeah. You matched up. That was great. Very... Can mad. I tell
1: you, I'm, I'm super proud of you for using the word Disposition.
0: I was going for a little bit of alliteration in
1: there. I don't it's think like it a, it's, technically counts. It's a whole dollar word. I'm very proud of you. You know, I'm kind of do a you big your, deal. Do, do kids still learn, like, words in, in terms of dollars and coins? Or is um, that just something from, like, the 30s that I grew up with? No,
0: it's something with the 30s. But as I'm thinking about <laughs> it now, that actually might, like, be a good way to sell it. Like, we, we, like teach them about like better words and stuff but we just use like better words as a phrase a
1: ranking oh. is quite would be quite useful so yeah every syllable is 25 cents so disposition is, is a dollar word
0: then they'd have to know what syllables are
1: well i can't help you with everything
0: listen i'm still trying to get them to understand that houston is not a country nor a state <laughs>
1: Wait till they learn about Georgia.
0: <laughs> it's both a
1: country and a state.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Well, guys, today we are going to be going over the entire season of Obi Wan Kenobi, utilizing our uh, top three, bottom three, aka best in butts format. Oh, nothing, Drew. You're not gonna you're not gonna throw a button there.
1: I was gonna let you go and just let you know that it's the best in butts, but aka the top and bottom three. All right, all right. I would have spliced it and reversed it, but hey, you do you.
0: You know, balance in all things. Uh, If you want to hear some in-depth breakdowns of each episode, make sure that you're subscribed to the network because Sith Talk has uh, done that as the season has been going along two episodes at a time and uh, doing some amazing work and insight uh, in there. And as always, all of our shows are in one feed, so you don't need to go looking all over the place. Uh, It's right there for you. But we will be spoiling Kenobi the entire season. So if you have not watched the entire season, once we get to the break, I would say take a break. Go finish it and uh, and come back and listen to us, but uh, before we get into that, Drew, what hey. other than Kenobi, what have you been Star Warsing lately?
1: Two things. We finally got to celebrate the official end of the Higher Public Phase One with Edge of Balance Volume Two. Thanks for everyone paying attention to that. Uh, the, the The second volume of the manga series that came out uh, at the end of May. I finally got my copy like a week or two or three ago didn't even order it until after Celebration. I thought I would find a copy at Celebration for purchase and taking home, but uh, to no avail. So whatever. So that's good, phase one is finally done, officially, officially done. Um, but really what's been fun is once the, my kids have been out of school, we've been re-watching all of the films in the most bizarre order ever, I think. Uh, we've, we watched Forced Awakens first, then we watched The Last Jedi, then A New Hope, then Phantom Menace then Rise of Skywalker, then Empire Strikes Back, then they watched Attack of the Clones, and then, <laughs> then they watched Return of the Jedi, and we have yet to finally watch Revenge of the Sith. So I don't know what kind of crazy order in watching that has been dubbed, but it's probably the worst way to watch these movies. But they seem to have been enjoying it. So it's kind of nice to see like the original trilogy films back to back to back like that. I haven't watched those in a long time uh, in that close a succession.
0: Have you heard of the Machete Order
1: yeah I, I think that's a pretty solid way to watch it it's like one two oh no no no! it's four, five,
0: one, two, three, two.
1: Th- I think it doesn't even watch one it's four five it two three depends six depends on the
0: ones that you look at yeah
1: because one bears so little on the overarching story that you don't even need to watch it listen, sorry listen hey it's my favorite of the three episodic prequels it's important and I will stand <laughs> by that
0: <laughs> uh, I feel like we should call this, though, yours is, like, the Drew Shetty order.
1: Uh, let's not, because it was not on purpose. This was, like, let's see what happens when we give an eight- and a ten-year-old complete control over things, and then we try and weasel that down to reasonability order. I- I'm honestly, sure that abbreviates to something.
0: I, I think we should you should post it in the Facebook group of like <laughs> see how many people we can get to watch in this order just like play it up before people listen to the podcast and play it up like this is the greatest way to listen to
1: oh, you or think? watch Star Wars. Oh, it opened my eyes to new and exciting revelations. Right.
0: <laughs> that like would how be awesome.
1: weird a new hope really is and how much a product of the 70s it truly is. <laughs> it,
0: it really is as much as like uh, you know you want the hairstyles and everything George was like oh, I want them to be timeless they're very 70s <laughs> the
1: me. way Han Solo keeps calling people sister from now on I don't think we talk about that enough anymore
0: no it is uh it's good <laughs> it's stuff. really
1: hard to watch
0: it's re- it's uh it's interesting I will say watching it with uh with my wife for the first time she was not a big Han Solo fan because he is you know uh a little bit uh, he is
1: not a not a great person. Yeah, he's not he's not
0: top tier um, <laughs> in in terms of a uh, way that men should be acting. But uh, no.
1: But then you contrast that with like Luke's super dead fast, serious earnestness, and it's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this stuff caught on. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's, it's kind it's of hilarious. a miracle. It's kind of a miracle. Speaking really of Luke, is. though, uh, I am now set up on July 6th. I'm getting my Luke Skywalker tattoo to go with the hey, tattoo. Hey, nice. So I'm very excited about that. Um,
1: Congratulations.
0: For those of you that saw my Kylo Ren uh, tattoo on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, uh, using the same artist, so I'm very excited to go back nice. because he is a Star Wars fan. Um, hopefully, by the time I get there, he will have watched all of Kenobi, and uh, and we're going to just talk about it the whole you know two or three hours whatever it's gonna take it's gonna be awesome but uh
1: two or three hours coward coward.
0: excuse you sir i did eight (laughs) hours in one sitting last
1: there you go now
0: you're talking i walked in and it was bright and sunny and beautiful outside and then i didn't look out a window for eight hours and then when i got out it was pitch black and dark and i just felt bizarre it felt bizarre but i'm very excited (laughs) to get that so that's coming up um and then uh, just getting a lot of reading done. In summertime, I'm trying to oh, get okay. ahead of my reading. Um, got Brotherhood, which uh, I'm not going to say much about because that's the next one Lindsay and I are recording about over on Don't Burn the Sacred Text. But I will say um, it's not a prequel to the Kenobi series in the same way that, like Catalyst was for Rogue One, where okay. you get a whole lot of information about what's happened before coming in. It's very much a... A Clone Wars type type of book where Anakin has just been knighted and uh, they're figuring out that new dynamic that you get in Revenge of the Sith. But I do think that there are a lot of things uh, it does to inform the Kenobi show, particularly about uh, how Obi-Wan thinks of Anakin as their relationship progresses, uh, which is really, really super interesting. And then I got an advanced copy of Shadow of the Sith. The new one with Luke and everything trying to make the dagger make sense, um, which I'm uh, sure it's going to fail miserably at, but I am enjoying it a, quite a bit. Uh, did we get a
1: copy? Of, did I get a copy of that one, too? Mm, did you send that to me? Uh, maybe, I don't I remember.
0: Think, oh, I, I think I think something can happen to make that happen.
1: I don't remember. Hmm, I, hmm, okay. Okay uh yeah it's not not great sign is it <laughs> no um i was so excited i forgot to read the advanced copy we got cool. <laughs> good job
0: no it, uh, i'm enjoying it a lot one um these are very very light spoilers i'm not gonna say what actually happens but uh we get a little bit i'm about a quarter of the way through we get some with ray's parents um a little bit of that uh, lots of connections to Exegol, uh, Ochi of Bastoon. you are getting oh, some boy. stuff, and he's actually like pretty well written in here. Uh, okay, not you're just getting like
1: dangerously a, close to spoiler territory here. No,
0: I'm just uh, these are he's on the cover, so I think it's yeah, okay to say still. that people are. Um, and then, final thing, just for those of you who who dig this stuff and have wanted more of this since the uh, Kylo Ren comic came out, we get a lot more of Luke and Lor San working together. So that's all I will say. I will. I'm I'm I feel like that's fair because the Ray's parents thing came out already. And then Ochi is on is on the cover there. Um, Yeah, there's uh, Lando's in it, too. But anything I say about that will be will be a a spoiler. So I'll just say if you like Lando Calrissian, he's. He's in there um quite a quite a bit. There's one particular uh plot line that's following his story. So I'm enjoying that. I'm hoping I can get through some of these quickly because I just reorganized all my legends books and now I really want to dive back into that now that they're like out and I feel bad that I have all of them and haven't read them. <laughs> um but we'll see if that ever uh if I ever have the time for that to happen. But
1: do you know what is next on your legends list?
0: Um not off the top of my head. I was going through like prequel order, uh, before, oh, like our or timeline orders order. of being in the prequels. But I think Ugh. next one I pick up will be something from, um, the post return of the Jedi era, just yeah. because we're starting to get some more of that in the, in the Canon stuff. So mm-hmm. I know there's more coming out in the, in the legends timeline and the non-canon stuff that they're pulling in. Um, that was really, really cool. Did you hear, uh, I, th- I think we might have talked about this last time, but uh, spoiler alert for Kenobi, but like not an important one at all. uh, <laughs> uh Horn is in
1: Kenobi. Corn is in there, but I, the the stretch people are making to say that's corn Horn is optimistic at best. Okay. Explain um, yourself. Because, I, I yeah, because now... We're just not there yet. There are like three guys with the name Antilles in the movies, which bear no relationship to one another. There's 17 guys named Skywalker, and they don't even know they bear relationship to each other. Now we're going off of first names, off a kid who's like six years old, and we're just hoping that in 14 years he turns out to be a pilot. I don't know, guys. Um, We're we're really stretching with our, our applications of things, which I guess is nothing new for the Star Wars community. We're really good at taking tiny little crumbs and making entire continents out of them. So, Would it be cool if it's Cornhorn? Sure. Do I think it's going to be? No. <laughs> Not at all. Like, It's one of those, I'll believe it when I see it. Okay. So
0: I've never actually like stopped and looked at the credits. Do the credits say Cornhorn, or do they say
1: Corn? No, it's just the first name, C-O-R-R-A-N. Because uh, okay. when somebody said Cornhorn is in the episode, I was like, okay, now you're talking my language. And I thought they were going to refer to the name scratched into the wall of the paths mm. um but no it's the kid who they somebody found the name i think the, the story goes somebody found saw the name corn in the credits looked at the actor name found out it was the child who is shuffled off the planet with his mother to the corellian sector and in you know legend has it corin horn is a corellian who grew up in the corporate sector out there and and uh, comes from a force wielding family and ends up being a pilot in rogue squadron, joins Luke's Academy and turns into one of the coolest Jedi Masters in that new in that in that particular timeline. Uh, sure if people want to latch onto that, you know what? Who am I to squelch their particular fun with like, you know, doubt and <laughs> historical precedents for things not panning <laughs> out the way people want them to pan out? I feel like this Does anyone is anyone remember of those- the Stormtrooper Rebellion concept oh, from yeah. like five years ago? I mean <laughs> My my worry would be
0: that it is a uh, Dash Rendar situation. So I don't know if you remember this after Solo came <laughs> out. Do you remember how they made Dash Rendar Canon?
1: Yeah, he's in uh isn't it Last Shot?
0: No, he's in uh just one of the like journal type in universe books. Um you know, like they have like it's almost like a scrapbook of the character's experience oh, yeah. at a certain time. And there's okay. one for for Han Solo, and uh, I think it's Vandor he goes to, and he mentions his old buddy Dash Rendar, and that's, like, (laughs) it. And everybody's like, all right, yeah, Dash Rendar's canon now, which, technically speaking, is true, but I Uh, don't know uh, if that's how people necessarily wanted that to happen, or if that was the best, like, use of bringing in that character, if you're gonna bring him in. So,
1: (laughs) I I don't know. and, And people's associations with the character that they used to know... Um, and automatically assigning 100% of that particular value to this kernel of information that we get is just an irresponsible use of intellect. It's just not smart to set your expectations 18 miles into the sky when all you have is half of a name of a character who doesn't have lines. So I, I, I'm on this kick of like trying to temper people's expectations, and it's, just, it's not going well.
0: <laughs> Point of evidence for that, Snoke is Plagueis.
1: <sighs> I mean... Yeah, in general, Snoke. Just look at that. In general, yeah. yeah. So I, don't I know.
0: had the thought. Speaking of bringing in other characters, um, so we know that the Rebels crew, uh, or most of them, are going to get back together in the Ahsoka series, and I'm pretty excited because I think that means we could be getting uh, Jason Sindula, which would be
1: that would be cool, pretty cool. Um, but, and see, that makes sense contextually because the last time we saw Hera on screen. Was with Jason and tow. So, right. and as her child, it would be difficult to imagine a situation where they would not be a thing anymore just so many years later. And we know that Hera has been active in the rebellion through those years. So, that well, makes sense. She's been active in the
0: rebellion. And the last, I, I don't remember where uh, in the timeline the squadrons game falls because I didn't really pay attention to that much but the mm-hmm. alphabet squadron book to my knowledge is the latest in canon that we get of her and that's still pre slash around the battle of jakku which would just be a year after return of the jedi yeah so we're getting it one to two years. yeah and in that she has jason is, is with her family while she's finishing up you know uh cleaning up the right. empire but where we get her in ahsoka that's quite a quite a bit after that so it would make sense that you could bring him in and maybe he, maybe he's the one that needs training. Here I go speculating, but <laughs> if any of this is true or not, it doesn't really matter to me either way. I think it would just be fun. Or he's maybe become a pilot like his mother or something like that. I think you could do some really cool stuff bringing him in and you get to develop this new character that there's a, people who want to see more of him and... You can kind of just do whatever you want with him mm-hmm. without having the weight of, of everything that's happened before like the other characters because I think they've done – it's kind of what they've done with Ben Solo. They've done a very good job of keeping him around but off screen. Like you get a little tidbit like here's one scene and you get a little bit more information about him but we can still do a whole lot of things with this character in – uh, you know, usually a, a, a higher level of canon-like TV or movies. And so that yeah. is just a thought I had as I'm, I'm going through my Rebels rewatch right now. Oh, uh, okay, cool. Yeah, we will see. Uh, we will see. And we will also see if Cornhorn uh, makes it on Drew's list of top three, bottom three, best and best. <laughs> Spoiler alert, probably not. But yeah. we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will get into that
1: survive leave us alone when the time comes he must be trained like you trained his father you still want kenobi
0: he's gone been looking in the wrong places. I want every lowlife and bounty hunter to squeeze him. Well, it is time we have the entire series of Kenobi. Uh, We know everything that happens. It's time for us to get into our spoilers with our top three, bottom three formats. So if you have not watched all of Kenobi, this is your final warning. Pause this and go watch it uh, because we are going to spoil the heck out of it. And I'm definitely going to be spoiling stuff that happens in oh, yeah. episode six. So oh, yeah, uh, the way that this works, if you're a new listener, is uh, we first go over our list of bottom three, which are three things that we think could have been improved, didn't work. Uh, we would have altered anything um, along those lines. And we go from least egregious, number three, to most egregious are number one. And then our top three is your <laughs> your regular best of. So, and Drew, we don't
1: send hate mail. To anyone for their particular opinions of things.
0: Well, I'm going to give them a head start on uh, on writing that hate mail because I'm sending it to you first for your uh, bottom number three.
1: Okay. Um, my number three is is a little washy. It's not terribly picky, but I noticed that there were a, a, just a few obvious attempts at humor and they just don't work. Um, I think most people can point to the trench coat sneaking scene Uh, at the what is that episode number four that
0: would would be four yeah
1: okay stuff like that doesn't seem to work in this particular show and I was trying to think about why that is and like we talked about earlier having rewatched the original trilogy lately a lot of the same kind of stuff worked in that movie because I think you have the difference between uh, honestly what we said before the earnestness of Luke's character and the deeply sarcastic you guys can't be serious are you of han solo's character and that dynamic makes those jokes work like the running through the death star chambers where han runs into the garrison of stormtroopers and and uh has to turn around and and is screaming and, and kind of in panic those kind of things work in a humor standpoint but there's no like buffoon and straight man act in the Kenobi show, everyone is drop dead serious about every little thing. And so when we try and have those the, the light moments, I don't think that they always, they always work super well. Again, I don't think it's that big a deal in the show itself. It's nice to have those because it kind of keeps it related to the rest of the Star Wars universe, which is not serious all of the time. It cannot be, and it should not be. Um, I just don't think that they worked as well because they didn't have the right characteristics to bounce that kind of a joke off of.
0: Yeah, I don't disagree with that at all. And I think, I mean, my number three is what I call imperial sneakiness, which is talking about that, that, uh, the scenes you were talking about about hiding in the trench coat and everything like that, which honestly, I didn't even think as something trying to be humorous because the show, oh, like yeah. you said, doesn't, it doesn't have any humor to it, which we're dealing with some very heavy, tragic topics as far as, as Obi-Wan and Vader are concerned. So, mm-hmm. like, it but that's kind of like sense. the point yeah. like, they,
1: they, from a from a, a content creation kind of standpoint, you don't want to I don't think it would work very well if you have complete tragedy and dour circumstances throughout the entirety of that escapade. You need to have those moments of like, oh, this is a fun adventure. Like one of the things we'll, I think we're going to mention in a bit is how each of the episodes each of the six episodes in the show kind of line up with the, the movie's episode numbers and the tones and structures of those particular films. And a a new hope is chock full of the swashbuckling adventure. And that moment of this, of the, that, that kind of like escape out of, I don't, what's it called? Fortress Inquisitorium. Yeah. Or some askabanian kind of name. Yeah. It, 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 those moments don't always work because I, I think they don't. They're lacking some of that that character, uh, the differentiation between characters' demeanors, in order to bounce those kinds of things off of them. I mean, it, but absolutely, those kind of scenes need something like that. It's a fun adventure. It should be, except for that whole discovering the amber carbonite chamber for all of your yeah, friends that you grew up with. That, that was, wasn't very funny. Well, that was no, not not fun and exciting.
0: Yeah, the whole the whole thing it for me is just really played. And like if we look at the, the plot line of that story in isolation, I think it works in regard to the story that they're telling and needs to be told. But we've done this dress up as a stormtrooper, dress up as an imperial yeah. so many times that we're, we're very close to going from believable to tropey. Like at oh, some we're going to talk about that <laughs> at some right at some point the suspension of disbelief stops existing right right it, it breaks it breaks and it's like it's like J K Rowling and how she like her crutch is using one person pretending to be another and so when you constantly go through three-fourths of the story, and you have character B acting as character A until at the end, he or she or they reveal that they were actually character B the whole time. The
1: whole time, exactly. Eventually, but you never, had, you never had any context clues in order to understand that, so there's no way you could have solved the mystery ahead of time. Right. Like, that is not a positive thing, but you're right. It's, just, it's something that has been used time and time again, and we're gonna talk about the time and time again issues in a little bit.
0: Well, and I think the biggest... like yes it's a time and time again thing and it's boring and played at this point and you know what's going to happen because we've literally been doing it since 1977 um but i think the the biggest problem with doing it so continually is that it makes it hard to for for uh, us to invest in the characters emotionally because we already know Mm -hmm. what's going to happen and i think that's some of the the things that made Kenobi so good is even though you know like all the major players are going to survive they for me anyways they presented in a way where it's not so much about how they get about the end that they get to but how they get there and right. so when you just see another thing that's just up, oh, this is predictable like I wrote out an I wrote out a list of all the ones that I could just remember off the top of my head I didn't go research or anything Rebels, they dress up as stormtroopers on multiple multiple occasions. In Solo, sure. you have Beckett's crew. Uh, mm-hmm. In Rogue One, when they sneak to get to plans. In A New Hope. Uh, in TLJ, <laughs> you have Rose and Finn. Those are five examples that- Return of the Jedi has Return left. of the Jedi, yep. like so many. And at some point, it just stops meaning anything. And that is terrifying to me, not so much because of this particular trope, But what it could mean if we don't start to have more creativity in our storytelling, what it could mean for Star Wars in the long term. I feel like I just set you up. Go for your number two.
1: Well, we'll talk about a lot of that in a minute. Um, Number two. Why does no one actually confirm the person they're trying to kill is dead? Oh,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: What the heck is wrong with everyone in this bloody universe? They can't actually take three seconds to go check for a pulse. Like, everyone who gets allegedly killed is not really dead. And this has been a problem for a little bit. But it, how How does, how, how, what, what, why, how, All? all the questions. Because Reva leaves the Grand Inquisitor stabbed through the gut and doesn't worry to go kick the body a little bit to make sure he's dead. Vader leaves Obi-Wan buried under rocks and is like, nah, that did it. Obi-Wan leaves Vader in the ashes and is like, this must have done it. It didn't work the first time, so surely he's dead this time, but I'm not going to go check. Vader in the Grand Inquisitor leave Reva for dead, and she comes back 30 seconds. It's like, I'm fine if you want to bring people back from the dead. Give them all the crazy spider legs. I'm a fan. But in-universe, why don't the bad guys just check? Like, how hard is it to go over there and, like, put your tricorder on the forehead and get some life signals on on the body or not? Like, there's got to be a line in an operating procedure manual somewhere in the Empire that says, when you kill a man, make sure they're dead and if not we've got to talk about the way they write these manuals because it's just obs- like obscene how many times in such a short window of time that the same issue occurs how much of the empire could have been like improved from from their particular point of view not saying the empire was like yeah let's let's work on making that better but like from an imperial efficiency perspective how much how much of their problems could have been solved by somebody going are you sure are you sure they're dead? Like, just kick them a little bit and see if they breathe. I, 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 am, I, I am perplexed. I am befuddled. I am flabbergasted at the lack of concern for checking to make sure that the person you just stabbed in the gut is actually, at, at a certain point, at a certain point in your lightsaber-wielding career, do you not figure out that a gut wound is not lethal?
0: I'm going to talk about one of those examples in particular uh, later on, but I think it's, it's one of the problems we talked about with rise of Skywalker, where rise of Skywalker kills like everybody and just brings them back. So when you get to the end and you have Rey <laughs> actually die and you bring her back, it means nothing because you've been swerved the whole movie. And it's like, okay, you're not setting up what you think you're setting up. You're, degrading the weight of the story. Death has to matter in stories because it's both the greatest threat and the greatest sacrifice that somebody can make.
1: Like- I, I get what I get the point they're trying to make, at least within the context of rise of Skywalker. There's a narrative element to the return, right? Like Ray demonstrates her ability to heal with the worm under the sand, something quicksandish looking stuff. So she demonstrates the power to heal. She explains how it takes a bit of your life force in order to do it. She restores Ben and uses that as a character development moment. It changes his the nature of his character in its entirety. And then he returns the favor. He brings her back from the dead, but sacrifices his entire spirit to do so. Within the context of that story, that's fine. Yeah, whatever. You know, it's not that big a deal. But in in the universe of the Kenobi show, I'm telling you, just put your foot up against their head and just see if they're still breathing. And, like, if you want these people to be dead, you have to actually make the people be dead. Like, And I'm not talking about, like, us wanting the character, because we know at the end Vader has to live. We know Obi-Wan has to live because they're busy later on. So there's obviously no permadeath coming for them. But within the context of the character's motivations and actions, don't you think Obi-Wan has a vested interest in ensuring the fact that Obi-Wan Kenobi has died? Like, yeah. isn't that something he should be doing? Like, what else is the point of him chasing him across the galaxy if he's just going to embarrass him and wound him and leave him buried under some rocks? It, that is not the nature of the character at that point. The nature of the character is to has got to be to ensure his destruction. And in the same vein, Obi-Wan left Anakin burning on the sands of, well, sands, the beaches of Mustafar and walks away and there's something to be said for for obi-wan wants like the the plausible deniability that he killed anakin skywalker like there's something to be said that he doesn't want to be responsible ultimately for his death but he's not willing to save him either it's very batman begins ish like i'm not going to kill you but i don't have to save you anymore um but this but in in that episode where he says Whether whether Anakin lives or dies is not my concern. I have to go confront him. He is there and at that point willing to strike a final blow. And yet, when he has the opportunity to do so, he walks away. Which is interesting from a character perspective. But what is he trying to do if not kill him at that point? I think he he goes in like,
0: like expecting to be able to kill him. And then can't follow through with it. That's my take on it.
1: There's certainly... I think he goes in, okay, being willing to kill Anakin. But when he realizes or he believes that Anakin is already gone and it is only Vader that is left, for some reason he is no longer willing to go through with a lethal plan. And I'm not quite sure I can understand that. To me... Like, he's willing to do it. There's a weird difference between obi-wan's willingness to strike a fatal blow in the context of a man-to-man battle but not in the context of the he is already he has been defeated where he can no longer fight you but you knowing he evader is the epitome of evil you are unwilling to strike that down and i'm not quite sure how to balance those two things out
0: to me it's more of a last jedi situation where Luke, you know, knows that he needs to confront Kylo, but knows that also that he's not the one that can save Kylo. And to me, I kind of read it that way where Ben Kenobi goes in thinking he can kill him, realizes that he can't because he sees that his friend is still inside and even it he just can't he's not the one that can bring him out. and I'll get to more into to other stuff that may believe that know. later it's but, weird. To me, to me, it played it played well because I think he still believes his friend is is there and that he doesn't want to give up on that hope because that's who Kenobi is as a character. He never gives in to the darkness fully. He never gives in to, to the agony. We see it time and time again during the Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. And I think that he knows there's still one more chance uh, or two more chances now that he knows know. the importance
1: I, of layout. I don't think his last conversation with Vader supports that very strongly. It's fair. I think at that point he's, he's kind of over and done, but he walks away from it when, I don't know if, if you're standing there, I mean, from a Jedi order perspective, I guess 50 years prior, he would have probably been willing, able to just go in and go for the head. But I don't, he's just not able to do that anymore. And maybe that, that's, that's more of his evolution of a character and as a person where he's willing to walk away. But when he, by doing that, he risks the danger in the lives of, well, Alderan for
0: yeah. one. Well, and I, I think it tracks with the story or arc that we have for him because if you think about, uh, have you read Dark Disciple?
1: I, I read the first half of it before I was like, this book is not for me.
0: Okay. Well, in in that, and I, it's it's pretty much in the first half of it, the Jedi Council uh, assigns Quinlan Vos the, the duty of going and killing Count Dooku. Count Dooku, and yeah. It, Kenobi has a lot of struggles with, you know, we've sunk to the level of assassination. Like, it, are we still the Jedi? Is this a way to do things? And so, to me, there's always been that tint of, I can't do this. I can't just kill. You know, um, mm-hmm. he. I I think <laughs>
1: it's, hard. This is it's like, hard. It's like it's like the, the the series of episodes in The West Wing where they they're trying to decide whether or not to assassinate Abdul Sharif and, and yeah. one of the characters. And after it's happened, one of the characters asks, "How can justice be served in darkness be justice?" And the other character responds, "I don't know. I'm still working on it."
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, because you also have the the juxtaposition of he does kill Maul You know. Um, in rebels, and-
1: but again, in the heat of the battle, right, like with a strike where he's in threat, so I can understand that. Like there, there's, there's the, there, there's Cassius Belli kind of just cause for war, where defense of oneself is worth killing another person. I can understand that, and so that's what I think. Like the moment at the, at the end, where Vader is defeated and he's busted and broken, and he, he's unable to be a threat to Obi-Wan anymore is where that changes for him. So mo- that one, at least there's some nuance and there's some some questions that we can ask and, and and there's information there. But them dark side users have got to be more efficient about the way in yeah. which they stab people. Like, I mean, well, that leads- if you're a bad guy, be a bad guy.
0: <laughs> and that kind of leads into my number two, which uh, is from episode two, and that's the bounty hunters that Reva used. <gasps>
1: Do not besmirch flea of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Look, I, no,
0: I think the <laughs> actors there did a great job at, at playing the role that they were trying to play. And before <laughs> I get into any of this, I want to preface this by saying I love Reva. I think she's an interesting and dynamic character. They created a lot of depth. Her arc is, is it's simple, but it's doled out in such a great way and she gives us a new kind of order 66 survivor because she didn't join the inquisitor uh, inquisitorious because of the same reasons the others did, but she's also not a Cal Kestis or a Kanan who's still out there, you know, doing Jedi stuff, but in the shadows, she's a broken and twisted and thinks revenge will heal, heal her very much like Anakin, uh, which is something I will get into later, but I just wanted to preface this. Like, <laughs> this is not Reva hate. This is, I don't think this makes sense to the story. Because her choice of choosing those guys, those bounty hunters, to kidnap Leia was laughable um, and not in a oh, good way. Oh, no, I not disagree. Not in a good way. I disagree. Well, here, here's the thing. We live in this, this, this galaxy where you have all these other bounty hunters she could have called in that would have allowed the audience to believe that Leia was in real danger and that Reva was a real threat. You, I mean, you could do like a Fett or a Cad Bane, but you don't even have to do that. You have the chrysanthemum costume already. That would be a threat. You have, how easy is it to make somebody into Dengar? We have the IG (laughs) droids. Like there's so many other better options out there than these nameless, faceless characters who, I mean, you've had multiple instances where you have these, these great bounty hunters um, show up for different reasons and, and, still the hero gets away so like i don't think if you bring in like Forlom and zuckus or whatever it may be (laughs) these characters that already exist you can still have leia and and obi-wan get away but you give the audience a chance to be more invested because it seems like a bigger threat and when if we're going to continue having these oh no they've been caught by the bad guys things (laughs) you have to again just like you were talking about with death, you have to make it matter. And if you keep doing it at some point, it doesn't matter anymore that you're killing all these people because we just know that they're going to come back alive, you know, four episodes later. And that's a big, mm. big problem. And I just was not. Leia was was a big highlight of this, sh- this show for me. And I was not invested in the danger that she was in in that. Like there is oh, wow. a way that to
1: surprises me. Really why? I, I I I thought it was pretty legit like when she's first kidnapped that's a burly band of scary guys who are who were picking her up out of the 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 woods of Alderand. like that was a a really tense moment and Is it? Did you see the way that I, they run? Well, okay. Uh, yeah, there's that. I'll give yeah. you that. Yeah. But can but imagine like hmm I don't kn- it would okay, three things are happening all at once. Yes, it would be fun to see a character like, who would be an appropriate bounty hunter at that time period? I guess it would be Cad Bane. It's probably the top of the game at that point. Yeah. Boba, I, I think- Boba Fett is still too young to really, you know, no one's going to trust, uh, what's his face, the Trandoshan, Bosk, with much at this point. Um, I don't know, because that that feels wrong to have somebody that dangerous and that threatening going after a child in a show. I don't think that's a a comfortable level of danger on screen. I think this, I think that's, hold hold on. If we're going with that argument, I
0: think that that adds to the storyline when it's too big of a threat. Like imagine, okay. Imagine if you had an IG droid, which we've seen multiple different, IG droids. Sure. It doesn't even have to be 88, but we know from Mandalorian. It could be any of
1: the four 88s. It
0: could be. It could be. <laughs> and I'll never not remind you of that fact. I know. I know. I know. It's great. I appreciate it. <laughs> you have one of them come in, and here you have a juxtaposition of Leia, who has a strong attachment to her droid, being in danger from another droid, which reflects <sighs> the trust issues that she's later going to have with kenobi and tala and everybody else and that's part of her development is learning who to trust right and you could foreshadow you're foreshadowing lola being you know uh misused to to go after them or to track them like it's not
1: Hmm. that the
0: actors did a bad job i think that they executed what they were supposed to do perfectly i I didn't feel like the characters didn't fit on screen or anything like that. It's not those characters in particular. It's the opportunity cost that exists in not bringing in a a more well-known character or a character with a better background to create a bigger threat. Uh, And then you can also have Kenobi defeating that person. And it builds up that even though Kenobi has been gone for a while, like he still has that... That way about him where he can figure out a way mm. out of impossible situations
1: okay so two things then in that case one Kenobi is not the man he used to be at this moment so he is not at the top of his game and the episode needs to demonstrate that and in fact it does do that when he's fighting in the hallway scene he punches the dude in the face and then he reacts because his hand hurts because he doesn't have that um, that talent built up anymore he doesn't Which you know how do to fight with, with any other character but here's the second thing the the bounty hunter team is killed by Reva and it's used in that moment to reinforce her maliciousness and her relentlessness and her unwilling, her being unwilling to accept any kind of failure. So they had to, if they want to hit that particular beat, they have to throw somebody at her that they can kill in order, because if they throw Cad Bane at her, she can't kill Cad Bane because he shows up later on in the timeline. Well, apparently she can't
0: kill anybody, but
1: (laughs) that's a fair point. (laughs) But I think she is blocked in. A lot of what we see is blocked in by knowing that certain future beats have to be hit and this can't uh, jeopardize those things. So I think that was the opportunity for somebody we haven't seen before who isn't terribly effective at their job. You know, we're going to say they get like a, a C plus because they get the job done, they just couldn't keep the girl. Um, and, and, and in order And because of that, they are allowed to be sacrificed to Reva's bloodlust. And so I think that's an okay thing to have there. I get that you don't like it, and it is an opportunity maybe to have seen somebody to enforce the stakes against her, but I think they're high enough. I mean, I don't really know that it matters if you're kidnapped by the Beagle brothers or if you're kidnapped by Boba Fett. It's still a child being kidnapped.
0: All right, Drew, well, I think that leads us nicely into our number one, so go for it.
1: Okay, I, I will do my best to articulate this. Um. I think there are so many elements from this show that borrow or steal outright from other Star Wars stories to the point where there's so little new and creative in this one that there is just this absence of originality. And that is a real problem. And we kind of touch on it a little bit. We're talking about like the uh, disguising as stormtrooper tropes. The whole show is lifted straight from bits and pieces of other store Star Wars stories already told um, from the very beginning. We watched, <laughs> we watched the first episode uh, in, in California and right before we're in the middle of celebration and I sat there on the couch and I said, are we really going to watch order 66 again? And really from the, every single episode has something or so much lifted from other stories that I am so concerned about the future of storytelling if we've run out of new ideas.
0: I honestly have nothing
1: to argue with that. I'm really scared um, because everything that I liked about this show and even things I didn't really like about it, like things that I didn't particularly enjoy, like things I, things I enjoyed watching. I was like, this is exactly from XYZ. All you know from the very beginning, like I, 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 really could not believe we were sitting there watching Order sixty six again. Yeah, I understand it's important, and I understand it plays a role in, in a lot of characters' things. But it, I just feel like that is the beginning for so many of the, the stories lately. That it's got to be played out, right? We we know it's bad. We've seen it in everything from you know video games in Fallen Order to the friggin' Mandalorian. We, we see it in Rebels. We see it in all these different books and things. And now we're continuing it in Kenobi. Like, we, I don't know what it is we have to get away from, but we've got to get away from the same kind of storytelling devices. Everything down from kidnapped kids, which we can find in all the Young Jedi books. How many times are Han and Leia's kids kidnapped? Um, Vader's helmet being cracked open happens at least three other times in canon like he goes through helmets like obi-wan goes through lightsabers in the prequels v- vader's relentless hunting of kenobi is a is straight out of empire strikes back where everything he does including the torturing of his friends uh in order to draw him out which is exactly what reva does to kenobi by kidnapping leia i mean we're we're just we are steeped in so many elements taken from so many other specifically Star Wars stories that I can't look at the Kenobi show in its entirety and think of an original element. I really can't. Hmm. Everything from fake Jedis, we, we, we've seen that before. <laughs> we, we, we've, seen, uh, uh, we've seen underground passageways to escape. Uh, we've seen fledgling rebellions and people who are just doing this, you know, who have to be convinced to help. Uh, we've seen spaceships grabbed out of the air and dragged down and ripped open. We've seen Reva work alongside Darth Vader in order to kill him. It's lifted straight out of Luke's arc in the dark empire comics where he joins forces with the newly revived uh, clone of the emperor in order to kill him. I'll say this. I'm struggling, man.
0: I think it's, f- I think I don't want to say you're being too harsh towards it because I think it is a fair assessment of the content that's coming out in general that we are not getting enough new types of stories. Uh, as much as I love the the parallels that uh, each episode of Kenobi has with the episodic films, I think that that's a cool approach to it. Um, I will give you that the rest of it around it is not different enough. I think we do have to draw a line somewhere somewhere. Yeah. I, think it's, I think it's fair to say we need to stop repeating the same stories that are already canon. I think there's enough people, myself included, who aren't deep into Legends, who don't realize that those things are from Legends until you know it comes out on Twitter or YouTube or whatever it may sure. be. Sure. So I think, I think if we draw the line at canon, that's fair. Of, yes, we need to stop just doing A New Hope over and over again 14,000 times. That yeah. is a, an absolutely fair assessment. I think that this story in particular was hindered by the before and after in a way that some of the things that we're going to get like the Ahsoka and even to me Mandalorian season three, from what we saw there um, I think has a lot of potential to do new and creative things. Uh, But I do think to me, it's like the, the, the soundtrack to the last Jedi. I like the soundtrack to the last Mm. Jedi. It's a good soundtrack. Okay. It's not anywhere near my favorite soundtrack because I don't feel like enough of it really felt new. And I think that that happened because yep. Ryan Johnson, for the first time ever, Ryan Johnson, and, and as much as I praise him, I think this was a mistake, used other Star Wars scores for, for the Temp music to inspire John song. Williams. Oh, Instead of what they've done for, at that point, all other eight films that had come out cuz Rogue One had already come out they used other movies they used classical music they used all these different things and so that sparks a different side of creativity right where yeah it stops you I, from falling into a rut like w- that's a creative thing that's going to happen right we we've even talked about this we when we first started this top 3 bottom 3 format we did like eight episodes in a row where it was all that and we're like we're just using this as a crutch because it's so simple and easy to use and we had to sure. come up with other creative ideas and i think you're 100 percent right in them being trapped in in this cycle of repeating the same stories and, and lacking that creativity but i do think we have to draw the line at legends has to be allowed to be pulled from because one it matters so much to so many people and two it's it's just to me that's a good aspect of storytelling it's like the MCU taking stuff from the comics but not doing it the same way you know they took infinity war from the comics and everything like that and it, yeah, it works yeah but that's that's
1: uh, that's different that's adaptation and and that's not really what we're going for here if if this was more like you bring up the each of the six episodes is aligned with the the first six films and Loosely narrative and there's elements that you can relate to it, which might be part of why like your issue with the hiring of lousy bounty hunters could be in allusion to Django Fett hiring Zam Wessel and her blowing the job using uh, slugs of some kind. So like I get like that would be interesting if that was it but i don't even think that's a positive aspect in this particular thing i'm not quite sure what makes this series so different and i i it might have to do be like the story and writing staff like the couple people who are responsible for drafting and directing the story um it, when you stand that th- this particular achievement in writing which is good. It's a good story. That's where probably what frustrates me the most is it's a good story and it's entertaining. But when we compare it to something like, you know, Filoni and Favreau have been working on, they're telling a new and different direction story entirely, right? The way, in, and I'm not even talking about the method in which they do it or the characters in which they do it, they have a different story that they want to tell, separate and apart from the stories that have been told to date. And that results in new and interesting things, and there's challenges with that, and there's uncomfortable situations, whatever, that's fine. It's at least heading in a different direction that these particular people want to take the story. For Kenobi, I don't think that the people who wrote this have a particularly new story to tell for these characters. And I don't know if that's a constraint that's they inherited from the situation. Like they've got a guy, they know how he got there. They know how he gets out of there and they're just filling in this one adventure in the middle. I don't know if they're too bookended in by the situations that we know so well for that character already. Like the journey Kenobi goes on is a journey of rediscovering his faith. And that's a great story to tell, but the method in which they do that uses beats and themes and images and elements that are wholly unoriginal to this particular story.
0: I think a great example of that we can make it feel like Star Wars or actually not even make it feel like Star Wars, make it Star Wars, but also make it new is Rogue One. Like we haven't had a a story where the hero die at the end. Uh, We haven't had. We haven't
1: even, we haven't had a good heist story.
0: Right, right. And then, you know, we got that. And then of course, you know, you have it repeated in Solo and things like when something works, they're going to reuse it, which is fine. But yeah, no, I think you're, I think you're onto something and. This goes back to kind of what we were talking about before with the Inquisitors and death and everything like that, right? Because it, it, it's just repeating and repeating and repeating, and at some point it, it becomes too much. And that's the Inquisitors yeah. are, are my number one. Um, oh, interesting! Yes. I actually have two two like issues with them. One's a minor one, and one's a, a, a much bigger issue that I'll delve into. So, <laughs> the minor one is that the fifth brother is uh, not anywhere near, uh, or his design look is the same as in Rebels. But in Rebels, he's he's a monster that towers over the other Inquisitors, and oh, here interesting, he's just a guy. Um, <laughs> I I think. Shout out to, to Han. Sung Kang yeah, did. I was about did to a, say. He did a good he's, job. He did a great job. He's just not scary in the way that the fifth brother was designed to be scary in Rebels. And in, this is not a situation where like he just looks different. I think you took away an important aspect of that character when you could have because he's not in a lot of it. You could have had. Uh, you know, somebody the size of Dave Prouse or a or Dave Batista or somebody come in and fill that role and you get the same thing. And then when he's threatening Reva, yeah. you know, like, wh- yeah, like when, when he throws her against the wall or whatever, if you have a huge guy doing that, again, the threat uh, just becomes much bigger. So that was one that, d- it didn't really hit me when I was watching it the first time, but like I said, I'm doing a Rebels rewatch right now and I got to one with the fifth brother and I was like, man, they missed a good chance there to have somebody uh, hmm. in live action that could be really, really scary. But again, minor issue that it's just kind of like, ah, man, I wish they would have. It's it's kind of like my Bounty Hunters one. I, I'm fine with it, but man, I wish they could have done it a, a different way. Okay. The major issue that I have is the Grand Inquisitor and the use of what? the Grand Inquisitor. I love this character in Rebels. Like, Jason Isaac did such a great job... Uh, with the voice acting, and he is a legitimate threat to, uh, to the Rebels crew. All right? Now, when things came out, uh, the, the trailers and, and still images and everything like that, everybody was complaining that he didn't look like the cartoon. I don't care. I know I just said he doesn't look like the cartoon, but in this case, that doesn't change anything about him. The lines being a little off his head, being a different shape, doesn't change anything about the character. So I'm fine with that. He does what he needs to do. The issue is that they kill him and then unkill him (laughs) with no explanation. Oh, come on. No, 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 no. That is not good storytelling in any way, shape, or form. No, 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 no. You cannot (laughs) set something up. That is a major plot point, and then just not say what happens. Like, we know, you and I know what happened, because he has two stomachs, but does the regular viewer know? What? (laughs) What do you mean he has two stomachs? He has two stomachs. He got stabbed in one of the stomachs. Oh, good
1: Lord! Okay, sure. Whatever. See,
0: that's my point. You no, look how deep you're we making are into it, it, it worse. <laughs> that's the point. Like it's so bad, and you just went episodes without like really talking about him at all, and then Vader defeats Reva, and and the Inquisitors just show up, and and there's no explanation of how the Grand Inquisitor is alive. When you've you've gone through two hours of content, time and character transitions, like it's ridiculous.
1: It's absolutely
0: ridiculous, and it should oh, not see, be. I ta-
1: I saw that completely different. I thought it was completely like the plan. Like Vader had this as the plan. Like he knew that Reva had this intention, this motivation of her own, that she was going to end up trying to kill Vader. And so Vader sets her up to to fail in this spectacular way and has the Grand Inquisitor back in order to kind of add insult to injury. I mean, he even says revenge is quite the motivation to stay alive. I feel like that's your explanation enough for how people come back because that's, that's what uh, we have to rely on. That's how Reva survived as well. and that makes sense like that. But again, had Reva just kicked the body of the grand inquisitor once or twice, she wouldn't have had that particular problem. This is so weird that like the one line explanation works for me this time. <laughs> it doesn't work for you. No, I. Just, You're, let's be clear. Let's be clear. You're more comfortable with the, the explanation of he has two stomachs. No, than you are no, I am just no, 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 no.
0: I am not comfortable with that explanation. I'm saying that is the explanation that has been given We're, off screen.
1: Where does that come from? Uh, like, well, one. Did you see that in a Wikipedia entry, or is
0: this like a Twitter thing you saw? Has had two stomachs. I don't. Remember oh when come it first came on. on! But Rupert Friend, who plays the Grand Inquisitor, even no, said, "No, no, no,
1: no. That was a joke. You people have got to understand how jokes work." <laughs> but it's the. But it
0: is the explanation that. You know, it's the only one that makes sense for why he he would have survived when... No, 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 no. listen. listen, Vader
1: lives uh, fueled on rage and hatred. That's what sustains his body against all odds of surviving. But we get to see... How Vader survives. We get to see how
0: Maul survives. Those like, uh, ish. I don't. <laughs> That's a I, different situation. No, no, no. Here's it, it, it's not that different because I don't like these Maul spider legs aspect of it. Oh. but it is. No, oh, I, I didn't. I, I didn't know you were you were going to hell. I didn't know you were a sinner like that. <laughs> I love post spider legs Maul and everything. <laughs> I'm not a huge like. He just spent all his time being angry and which. Again, a sentence you
1: never thought you'd say, post-Spider Legs Mall. (laughs) That should be like a a, a mall in South Jersey, is the post-Spider Legs Mall. That's where I used to hang out when I was a teenager.
0: To me, this is a somehow Palpatine has returned situation. Fair enough. If you want to figure out the explanation, you can, and you can go research it and find it out. But we're not going to explain it to you because we don't have enough time in the movie when we should have written it in a way where... like just tease that maybe the grand inquisitor's alive. Think about uh, uh yeah, Cobb Vanth in twitch. yeah, Cobb Book of Boba Fett. You know, mm-hmm. you think he's dead and then uh, in the post-credit scene you get him uh in the back to tank and you're like, "Oh snap, like he's still alive." And so when you have him show up the next time, it's going to make sense how and why he's still alive. To sure. me, the grand inquisitor it would be one thing if we didn't know that he existed later in the timeline, but the fact that we know where he dies, yeah, and so we know that what she just did while supposedly killing him is not going to kill him. You have to tease that. You have to build that up and not ignore. I, I went and I looked and I added up the 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 time of the episodes in between uh, when he was air quotes killed and when he comes back and we're talking about 127 minutes of runtime with nothing of any context for that and then it's just like haha, plot twist with nothing <laughs> and to me that's just really bad storytelling can i watch mm. rise of skywalker and be like okay palpatine survived sure i can <laughs> It doesn't make it good, though. Can I watch this and go, okay, she didn't kill him because that's what this plot needs? Yes. Does it make it good? No. Should I be after watching every episode f- while he was, air quotes, dead? Uh, my first thing I'm texting Lindsay is where the you-know-what is the Grand Inquisitor? That should not be the first thing that I'm doing after every episode of a Kenobi series. <laughs> and that's a problem. So Interesting. Interesting. All right. That leads us into <sighs> our best of, and I am very excited for this because my my bottom three was actually quite hard to come up with save for my number one because I really enjoyed oh, a lot about this show. Um, I f- have gotten the feeling that maybe you feel differently, so I'm excited to see what yours are. So take it away with your number three.
1: Well, I, I hope it doesn't disappoint too much. I had, a, I had a real struggle coming up with things for my top three because of how how much poison the well was. Like, seeing all the things lifted from other source materials was just, like, so disheartening to me. I really struggled with this show a lot. Um, maybe a second viewing would help ease the, the pain if I just know these things going in. Um, so my number three is just kind of, like, an amalgamation of a couple things, like... Even my, this is hard, man. I really like Vader's relentlessness and his singular focus. It makes him a lot more scary. It's taken straight from Empire Strikes Back. Um, I like that the story team here really leaned into his menace and his terror that he causes. But then I feel bad for celebrating like his violence and things. So I, I don't know. This is it's really hard. I, I like I enjoy the characters. I enjoyed it. Vader, especially was a lot of fun to watch. But I mean, the, it worked in Rogue One and it worked in Empire, and I don't know that those movies did it better necessarily. But maybe they did. Like, I, I I'm struggling with it. I enjoyed the Vader scenes. I liked when he was on screen. So he's he's my number three is kind of Vader's back in the mix and is, is being a bad person and a bad guy again. But even that is, is tinted with, with this like lifting from other things for me. I don't know if that's the best I can do for number three. The next two get much more positive. I promise.
0: For me, I mean, it didn't make the list because the three that I'm going to go over were just so much more important to me in the, in the story. But Vader was, and is legitimately terrifying in this this series. I think, they did do a great job of, of showing that on screen. And yeah, you, I mean, you can make the arguments that you did, and I think it's a fair assessment to say we've seen that of Vader before, but I think, one... Getting it again just reinforces how much time he actually spent as this dark side kill everybody person that we mm-hmm. we get an empire, but then you know in, in Return of the Jedi he's redeemed. But we don't have a lot of Vader content in the original trilogy. And then in well, the prequel trilogy we have yeah. Anakin. So I like getting to see this side of it. I like that we get in, you know an actual storyline with him, and not just he shows up and kills a lot of people because we need to lead into the next movie. I right. love the hallway scene. I think it's very well done and everything like that. But getting to get it in a more dramatic, drawn out format with the weight of everything else that's come before actually playing a role uh, in the story to me worked really, really well. So okay,
1: I have a question for you. That kind of t- kind of related to this. One of the things I noticed when I was watching this was that in the lightsaber battles, the way in which the lights cast from the blades so illuminates the area where the actors uh, or the characters are fighting is so different than like the rest of the films. We haven't, s- but for the, uh, the sequel trilogy, <clears throat> like it really works in a force awakens. Like when they're fighting in the snow battle scene, I think it's really cool how things are bathed in the blue and the red did it feel like it was amped up in this show to you Uh, at all? I'm not going to go into full detail
0: about it because that does, we're going to talk about it in a minute. We're going to talk about it in a minute, but I do think like now they're using basically like the, the sabers that you can buy out. Yeah. It's like
1: onset. Like, yeah, Yeah. it's, it's practically created light, but it just makes those fights feel so different from what we've seen out of one through six. And it really stood out in this show, I think, more than it did in the sequel trilogy, to me, of like how much light is cast from these things. And it, it, I don't know, I don't, I can't quite identify the sensation that it created, but it definitely made me feel different about these lightsaber fights than than uh, than others have.
0: Well, I think it's a it's an aspect of what my number three is, which is is visual storytelling. Um, and I for me, okay, okay. I thought they. I like that aspect of it. I'll get more into the lightsabers later on. But for me, I I really enjoy visual storytelling. Like like dialogue's great and, and we can parse apart what they say and everything like that. But visual storytelling is foundational to star Wars, right? Like, you can take mm-hmm. for example Luke's uh what uh clothes Luke wears in the original trilogy. His costume gets darker and darker, and then we see his face as he's hiding from Vader and it's exactly half light, half dark and showing that he's yep. torn, all of that good stuff. Then his tunic opens later and he shows his pure heart.
1: I <laughs> That's what it is. Sorry, that one got me. I was like I'm with you up until that. Uh, you had me until his tunic opens up and it reveals his pure heart. Okay, sure. Good. <laughs> And Somehow it, his pure heart returns.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Somehow Brandon figured out how a way to bring Return of the Jedi into the conversation I mean, you're again. You're talking
1: about like a wardrobe malfunction turns into... Okay, sure, go ahead. Go well, ahead. No,
0: I think because costuming is, is important in a story like this and, and the way that yes. George set things up, right? And so when you start with Kenobi, he starts the show in this blue color, symbolizing him being a fish out of water kind of thing, right? And then later... <laughs> He goes through the water. Listen, bruh. I,
1: I'm, okay, you, you sure, 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 sure.
0: These are facts. He wears blue clothes.
1: and then He, he does do- wear blue clothes. I will grant you that. You, you're, you're stretched to a sign that as a literal fish out of literal water on a sand planet may be a bridge too far. But okay. A,
0: a sand planet that used to be an ocean.
1: Jeez oh, Louise.
0: A man that used to be a Jedi. That's
1: all I'm saying. Man that used to be a fish. Wait, no, that's not it.
0: <laughs> no. Um, not a man that is a fish. This is not Mon Calamari or whatever the weird <laughs> shark one is. Um but <laughs> the weird shark. What is happening? Bring it, bring it in, bring it in. You started this. Later on, right, and we get him his clothes progress to become more and more Jedi like. Throughout the entirety of the series, um, yes. and until we get to that that last moment, and that I think is a a really good way of showing showing not telling how he is progressing into becoming a Jedi, and then at the end you get him and, and guess what he's in a cave, uh, and <laughs> he's he, leaving a cave. He's and that's the important aspect of it, yep, right? Yep. It's yep. a rebirth symbolism, and from. The or at, excuse me, in the first couple episodes, we get him and and he's going through the more circular, what we'll call front side, uh, to go in and out, right. But where does he go in the end? He goes through the back of the cave, going in a new hmm. direction because he's reborn, Interesting. right. Interesting. And then one that really really hit me um, was Reva in part six because she's very intentionally yeah. set up to look like Anakin or Vader, depending on on the shot, and. There's one where she's walking uh, away from camera, and it's very much a a Darth Vader's cape flowing. We have her standing over Luke uh, in the same way both that Vader would later do and Anakin did for her. We have her carrying back uh, Shmi, uh, or excuse me, carrying Mm -hmm. back Luke, like Anakin carries Shmi back to the homestead in Attack of the Clones and then falling to her knees. Like There's all of this stuff, and you never once did they compare her to Vader. But they very clearly show that she is struggling with, with something similar to what he struggles with, and in the end, she chooses a different direction than him. and And I just I think that that was whether, like you said, whether you're you're repeating these ideas or not. I think they did this in a way that executed it very, very well uh, for the story that they were, were telling. And yes, Mm -hmm. we've had rebirth symbolism. Yes. We've utilized costumes throughout the whole saga and everything like that. But this was both very clear and very subtle at the same time. Like you're not distracted by Reva being like Anakin, but it does add depth to it.
1: I like your, the symbolisms there at the end with Reva that that's, because of because of what they're trying to tell you. I think that's interesting. How she's trying to get out from under Vader's shadow and, and reclaim her own personality and take it back from what he what she had become.
0: And it's beautiful too that she she throws the lightsaber, places the lightsaber away from her, showing that she's leaving that life behind. Yeah. Because she's been trapped by it, right? She was a Jedi and then she didn't what, do, what, do, what does a Jedi do after they survive Order sixty six? They can go into hiding, but she does. To me, the way I read it is, is she really wouldn't have known who to be after that, and wouldn't have if she was still a youngling yeah, she at does the temple. not. Yeah. She, yeah.
1: And in those moments, she does not know who she is anymore because she right. was never given the opportunity to grow and mature into a person before she had, before she would be embraced by the dark side. It kind of was part of her growing up was she yeah. was adopted into it and then she's becoming lo- more and more day by day became more like what she hated to begin with. And so that's kind of like a new journey for a character to go on, but uses pieces that we re- we recognize from other things. So that's a good use. Like we were talking about before, a good use of appropriating um, past elements and story beats in order to do something new and interesting because it tells a different story than Anakin's, but it uses the same kind of visual language to do so. So that's kind of the opposite of my bottom number one.
0: I like that you are getting these other stories of kind of what Anakin could have done instead of turning to the dark side. Like there were so many other possibilities. Ahsoka is an example of it. Uh, Reva is now an example of it to me. I like having that idea of there were so many ways that he could have gone, and he chose the the one wrong way. He chose the worst way, and that makes it all very, very tragic. And as far as Reva is concerned, like to me, that's just personally relatable. About if you focus on what you're trying not to become, you end up becoming that thing
1: right, instead of focusing right. on
0: who you want to become.
1: And so, yeah, I can see uh, that. Yeah. So, all right, go for it with your number two. Uh, number two. This is going to sound counterintuitive based on what we talked about earlier. I f- think that this was a well-paced and a very trim story, and I liked the way in which they used their time for the 6 episodes that they had. Uh, I think this is a very economic storytelling, and I the, with the way they which they, they mapped out the beats and so each episode really does play a role and each episode builds off of what happened before it. And you need to have each of those steps in order for things to pro- to progress down the timeline. So I appreciated the structure of it. You know, episode one had the job of establishing the character of Obi Wan. Episode two has the job of pushing the character into action. You know, the the the, the kidnapping, and he's got to actually get involved. He's got to stretch those muscles. Chapter three is about confronting him. That's where Vader makes his entrance, and he really upends the game at that point. Four is motivating the character by getting him involved in the rescue plan. He's actually becoming motivated to help people again. He, he learns the importance of helping people. So that, that episode four, I think, is really, very, very important. Five is the challenge, and six is the resolution. So I, I think it's a very clean, like, like the outline for this story is super cool looking to me. Like, everything's focused, everything's evenly balanced and, and tells a, a fluid story that's well-paced. There's no episode that drags. There's no episode that you could eliminate, and it would tell just as solid a character development story. So as a story of how Kenobi changes from the man he is at the beginning to the way he is at the end, it's very fluid, it's very natural, everything, every move there makes sense. And I really think that's a, a, a really, that is something that we, we don't see all the time. A lot of times there are too many jumps from place to place or there's not enough time or solid explanation or reliable motivation to really push people in the directions that the story wants them to go. But that's not the problem we have with this show. And so I think that was a really good execution on that kind of an outline. And I don't want to take anything away from the people who Actually wrote the
0: Kenobi show and everything like that, but we know that originally this was supposed to be a movie, and so I wonder if starting with that movie format allowed them to be a little more clear of the direction that they wanted to go.
1: And well, I don't so, know about, necessarily particular about that particular element, but one of the things I read was that Obi or the you and McGregor knew he was playing this role for four years before he actually set foot on on, on a stage to do it again that amount of time to workshop and develop a story idea is so good the more time you allow a story to grow like that internally to really develop people can be critical on it and they can and really make sure that everything works the way it should work is something that's super important a story has to have time to breathe and develop before you actually start to put words in people's mouths in order to make sure it works I mean that's kind of the problem with the rush of trying to get you know movies out every two years. I mean in the time that they took to map out and write and develop the story, specifically the story beats and the words and everything, two full length feature films were developed and released from Inception to day one theater theatrical release. That's insane, and that speaks to two different things. One, how well the story developed for Kenobi, but, how, but two, how much more those other movies could have benefited from another six to 12 months in the oven. This kind of like where the business end of things really impacts the storytelling side of things, where you, you had dates for episodes seven, eight, and nine announced before you had a director, <laughs> before you yeah. had a writer. For eight and nine. Ah, uh, come on. There's no way in which those stories didn't suffer from the, the speed at which they were forced to fly that Kenobi demonstrates clearly that giving them the time that they need to tell a proper story is ultimately in the best interest of the story.
0: Yeah. I'm spot on. I have no arguments there. I think that my number two works with that too because it's Leia. Um, oh, there, cool. There are zero moments uh, where I don't absolutely love Leia uh, in the show. Zero. <laughs> like, I love everything. This was, for me, this was the most unexpected aspect of the show uh, going in, and it became the most important reason I was excited about the show each week. Uh I, nice. I think from the very first scene, the actress uh, who plays Leia, her name is Vivian Leira Blair, embodies Leia perfectly. And I think... And, and this, again, they took the time to do this. It's very clear mm-hmm. in the way it's executed in the show. They did not shy away from making connections with both what was and what will be in regards to Leia. You have yeah. parallels to her costumes in the OT. You have multiple mentions of her similarities to both of her parents. <laughs> uh, and, like, this is the beautiful thing. We get that, and, and for me, you know, my p- little prequel heart, I'm like, oh, yay, I got fed. They mentioned Padme. They talked about her mother and, and stuff like that. But then they actually use that to create a climax of her story in, in the final episode. And to me, right. that is just beautiful storytelling. But I think possibly above everything else uh, is her relationship with Tala, because Tala is an analogy for who oh, Leia cool. will become. And so I don't think it is a coincidence again the thoughtfulness that went into the show i don't think it's a coincidence that they chose an actress that looks similar to carrie uh, carrie fisher like you can see the adult leia when you look at tala on screen and when leia puts on her holster in the end it just shows so beautifully again talking about that visual uh, storytelling how she's going to become a leader, a rebel like Tala, but the holster is empty because she hasn't quite gotten to that stage yet. It's not Hmm. going you know, you don't have that weapon in there yet because she's not in the fight yet, but we know she's preparing. We know she's getting ready and we know she knows the stakes of this fight. She's not doing it just because, well, my dad's a part of the rebellion and my mom's a part of the rebellion. I guess I'll join up. She knows the stakes. She knows that lives are on the line. Freedom is on the line. Good is on the line. And so she has that to fight for. And I know it's not technically speaking canon, but I love the idea that this is the same holster we see her wearing later on uh, in the comics and in Return of the (laughs) Jedi in particular. Because I think Leia carries the weight with her in, in a very healthy way, I think. But she does carry the weight of the legacy Uh, that's on her shoulders, the legacy of her parents, both biological and adoptive, the the legacy of the Republic and the Senate and the rebellion and the light side and everything that comes with that. Uh, I I just think she she does a great job. And obviously, like I have a Leia tattoo. Y'all know I love Leia. I talk about her all the time. It was kind of, my, my top five has always been kind of flexible, save for Ahsoka. This series solidly locked in that Leia is my second favorite Star mm. Wars character of all time. And it's going to take a lot after seeing this and after being able to create that understanding of her life as a whole and what led her to where she is in A New Hope uh, just really solidified that spot of she is is an amazing, amazing character.
1: Counterpoint. Just kidding. I don't have anything to say on counterpoint. Right? (laughs) Like Kids are awful. That's the argument you can use is kids are awful. (laughs) That's
0: that's a fair statement, but that's another argument. (laughs) Uh, So I think that that leads us into our number ones. Oh, are we there already? You did your number two, right?
1: I think so. Yeah. Good grief. All right. uh, My favorite part of this show, I'm pretty sure, is Owen Lars. I think he's great. I think that
0: um Wait, wait, wait. You're being serious right now, right? I, I am being serious.
1: Okay. Owen Lars I think is probably the most interesting character and and really cuz he starts out in this show you think he's just kind of like this curmudgeonly person and he kind of is. But when when Reva threatens threatens Luke and he's he makes that amazing declaration like he is mine. You know, Reva says you love him like he's one of your own and he says he is my own. That is super important um and we need to make sure that kind of stuff is said out loud you know this is kind of Bale organa's same approach with leia where he talks about you are an organa like there's a lot of found family um and star wars is probably at its best when it's themed around found family is real family he's a very owen is a very you get what you get kind of character and i like that about him um i can definitely see a connection between his character in the show and Who we see him as in A New Hope. uh, It's very clearly the same character, but it helps also to inform us that Owen does have Luke's best interest at heart. Even if he disdains Obi-Wan and he doesn't like Obi-Wan and thinks that Obi-Wan's responsible for a lot of problems in the galaxy, he's not taking it out on Luke. Luke is just a child, just a boy, um, his boy. And I think that's, that's an element that we don't get to see very often is just a father trying to do the best for his son at that point. So I think that's an element that didn't get a lot of time and it didn't need to because in in what little time that it got is kind of a pure distillation of that idea. He gets his good line that says he is my own. He, there's no question about it at that point. And, and that's, that's such a reinforcing thing, especially like imagine if Luke was able to know that and feel that, uh, does so much to a person's soul. Uh, And so we kind of get to experience that through him for Luke. And I I think that's a really important thing to actually have said out loud from time to time.
0: No, I completely agree. I think uh, the execution, even though we, we we didn't get much of, of Owen in the series, we got everything that we needed. Just the right amount.
1: Mm -hmm. Just the right amount.
0: Along with that, like we know where Luke's story ends so we knows we know he goes in the right direction and that Owen was wrong to try to keep him on the farm because the galaxy needed him but if you think about in the context of the story and the stories that are being told over multiple years in multiple formats, we need to stop thinking about the ends justify the means and and understand that people can have different perspectives on what's right and different ways of executing on their idea of what's right and owen and ben disagree completely on what's best for luke right they respect each other because they know that both of them are always going to do what is what they believe is best for him and like so they're not taking it out on him they're not going to have these little fights over like they're not going to be arguing over what's right for luke at the expense of actually doing what's right for luke they're both going to do what they think is best for him and the rest of the chips will fall in place. And I think, again, it yeah. was executed perfectly.
1: Yeah, they're not on the same page at the beginning of the show. Or at the end. Let's be clear about that. Well, no, I think they're, they're at a better place at the end. They, yes. they still, like, I think the difference between the two approaches, like, Owen thinks Ben is a threat to Luke's well-being. Because he knows Obi-Wan wants to take him and train him at a certain point in order to fight and Owen wants to protect him from that. And so at the by, by, by the end of the show, Owen understands that Ben came back. He came back to help and to find Luke. He's not just concerned about having the proper warrior available to him in the future. He's worried just about the well-being of a young boy. And so at that point, he understands that they've recalibrated what's important, and the end goal of their actions is to care for him, not necessarily to care for the galaxy. Obi-Wan is kind of at a different point where he's going to help people. He's not going to fight or you know, stop the evil out in the galaxy, because in that particular fight, he already lost that's where he was at the beginning, was, I had a chance to stand up to evil and tyranny, and we lost. So now his focus at the end is, I'm just going to do what I can to take care of the people here, and that's going to help solve the galactic issues in some way, shape, or form. So they're both kind of in the same aspect. They, ha- they might have different rationales for it, but Owen didn't see that in Ben. He didn't see that Ben cared for Luke as just a person. He just, Owen sees Ben seeing Luke as just a tool in a war. And so that's why there's such friction between them. And so that's resolved there at the end where he allows Ben to go and introduce himself to Luke. He says, all right, I I understand that you care about his well-being. You can be a friend to him.
0: Yeah. I mean, they, they end with a mutual respect for one another, even though they disagree about, about the end goal. So yeah. Sure. About how to get Luke to where he needs to be and what is best for him. And that's, I think that's really something special that we need yeah. to see more on TV. But Good job. Our, I will get <laughs> to my number one now. Uh, oh, which, yeah, 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 yeah. And I have a lot to say about this because oh, it was curious. amazing. The duel, the rematch of the century. That's what it was billed as uh, and I was not disappointed. I think the, nice. the Kenobi Vader fight in episode six, I would argue is the best storytelling duel since Return of the Jedi. Maybe not the best in choreography, but the best in telling a story. And I'm going to go off on a manifesto, so buckle up, baby. Because we start... The the fight happens on a planet of rock, which is... Rock comes from magma, which... Mustafar, right? So you've already got this idea (laughs) that they've hardened their hearts towards each other. And yet we see these rocks are going to come down and crumble down just like their barriers fall towards one another we see them start to like they start really fighting harshly and in the end neither one can kill the other one you start with this this reverse of revenge of the sith because instead of kenobi coming down the uh the ramp of the the ship you have vader coming down Uh, It's a a reflection of that. You even have another allusion to it with Kenobi repeating, I will do what I must. But this time, instead of him saying it bravely with a tint of of revenge in it, he's saying it sadly with a tint of remorsefulness. And he doesn't want to do this. He doesn't want to, at this point, he believes he's going to have to kill Vader. He doesn't want to do that, but he knows he has to. So then they actually start fighting and you get this choral music which connects uh, this fight with both Duel of the Fates and Battle of the Heroes. Which are essentially, with this one, the trilogy of fights for Anakin's very soul. And then you get him standing over uh, the pit like Maul stands over Kenobi. And and I would even argue that you have an allusion to all three of the, the prequel villains in... Uh, in this fight. So you have him standing over over Maul, or standing over the pit like Maul. You have, as you were talking about earlier, the reflection of the lightsaber light on their faces, which is like the the fight in Attack of the Clones. And then you have Kenobi breaking the mechanical apparatus in uh, on Vader's midsection like he does with Grievous. So being a little flexible there with the light on the face one, but I do think you... you're you're getting those similar ideas as that. But actually before that you have Vader breaking the ground between him and Obi-Wan, which both literally and metaphorically breaks them apart. Um, And it it also shows that Vader will break the entire galaxy to destroy Kenobi. Right. From there you get Kenobi getting buried in the, the pit of rocks, but he can't, Vader can't kill him deep down there's still that jedi that remains and for for anakin this is shown through that line did you truly think you could defeat me because this is connecting with the the clone wars timeline that we saw earlier of anakin and and obi-wan practicing where he's still too focused on victory to see the other potential outcomes Which leads to the potential outcome that we get of Kenobi lifting rocks like he's lifting the pains of his past because of his belief in Luke and Leia. And he uses that not just to inspire himself and get out of the pit. He uses it to break down Vader in a similar way to how Luke and Leia who, like you get that connection. He sees Luke and Leia, he remembers them, and that's what gives him the strength to lift this burden that is coming down on him. But it is also the thing that is able to finally wound Vader in a way where they, the duel can come to an end. And then we get my favorite part in the entire series, one of my favorite things in all of Star Wars, which is Vader's mask being broken. And this okay. is such. This is so well done to me because Kenobi breaks the opposite side of the mask from what Ahsoka will later break in Rebels. He breaks Vader's uh, left side. Ahsoka will break the right side of the mask, showing that each of them could expose and bring out parts of Anakin, but neither one alone could bring him out fully. That takes Luke. Um, and then we get to to the lighting, and you have. In that end part, there, right before their, the fight, or right before Kenobi starts to walk away, you have blue and red light hitting Anakin's face, showing his conflict, but you only have blue light hitting Kenobi's face. And as the conversation continues, you see red take over Anakin slash Vader, because he's exposed at this point. The red takes over his face, showing that Kenobi is not the one that's going to be able to save him. And again, we kind of talked about this earlier but I think it's important and it's a great last statement that Kenobi cannot kill Vader he could have, he had the opportunity Vader is definitely weakened but visually it's so beautiful that we get this zoomed out shot of Vader being left alone on this planet, broken but Kenobi is able to walk away, Kenobi is able Hmm. to move on and, I mean, God, I could go on forever about the choreography, about the, the beautifully, beautifully torturous dialogue, and so much more about this. The music was spot on. This duel just hits on every level. And it's it's my number one here, and it's one of my favorite things that has happened in Star Wars, definitely since the TV aspect of it started, it uh, possibly... St- of all time. I just absolutely thought that we we got this build as the rematch of the century and in every aspect it executed on that. And and I don't know Drew if you remember, but I was very adamantly against this. I did not want this fight. <laughs> I thought it was a bad call and I'm very happy that I was proven wrong because it is amazing.
1: Nice. Good job. So
0: I'm assuming you have no debate on that one. Then you like the fight? Sure, it's fine. All right, all right. All right. Uh, I am. I'm playing around with some ideas of uh, of laying out some of those parallels in written format. So more to come on that because God, Ooh. I spent. I must have spent 30 or 40 minutes yesterday just watching that duel and taking notes. It was (laughs) so good. So good. So, uh, that is going to wrap up our episode on Kenobi. Uh, we are not done with Kenobi on the feed here though. I know, uh, Mark is bringing back forever star Wars and they're going to be talking about it. And I'm sure we will continue, uh, to talk about it as we get into brotherhood over on don't burn the sacred text. And so, so much more. So, Make sure that you are subscribed to the network and that you are following us on all of our platforms. We've got our Patreon that uh, helps put books into classrooms. I'm actually very excited i'm heading to san antonio tomorrow to take uh, over 700 books uh for him <sighs> to take down to the uvalde students for next school year so nice. that it all happens because of our donors uh over on patreon uh so head over there help us out for a dollar a month and you will be doing some good in the galaxy it also would be good though if you uh follow us on twitter and instagram and tiktok as at clashing Sabers, or go over to our facebook group clashing Sabers star wars all of those links are below drew you have some cool stuff going on tell us where people can find you
1: uh you can find me on twitter at the drew brett i i have an article idea i'm cooking up and so hopefully within the next couple of weeks i'll drop that um if you thought had not enjoying Kenobi was the bottom of the barrel I have one more idea that might be just as terrible so we can all read about that and commiserate together
0: and you can find that over on our website clashingsabers.net which also has all the links that you will need so until next time let's remember the one thing that Kenobi really left out which is batch oh, 8
1: highest of ho. I don't know what that means I don't know either. We could come up with something in the future.
0: I mean, we just spent like an hour and a half making up stuff, so
1: I think we're I don't know what you're talking about. All my stuff was well-researched and documented appropriately. Footnotes. Annotations.
0: Send it to the Library of Congress.
1: Yeah, exactly. The
0: podcast you just listened to and all other Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of ClashingSabers.net. All sounds and materials used from other creators is their stuff and we just use for informational and educational purposes. Bottom line, we made it, it's ours, they made it, it's theirs. Seems simple, but if you're still confused, feel free to email us at Network at gmail.com. We have no association with Lucasfilm, Disney, or any of the other fine companies that make all this stuff we talk about. But Kathleen Kennedy, if you need anything, let me know. I work for cheap. Now let's blow this thing and get out of here.